Chapter 6 Within the week, Bill was comfortably integrated into the loose patterns of daily tribal life. He still sported his polyblend top, but it was now stained beyond recognition from the frequent pettings it received. In addition, his khakis had been rendered unwearable due to an unfortunate incident involving a jellyfish and were quietly replaced with a doe-skin loincloth. This loincloth, to the endearing amusement of the entire tribe, exposed the better part of Bill's pale, hairy, pimply ass. But he owned the look, and the Karankawa admired his style, if nothing else, as he paraded through Camp Thusley. Bill's first morning in residence, he had pathetically, futilely wandered the corpus dunes calling out his wife's name. The natives hung back in the shadows, watching and whispering, with no idea what or who this Marcy could be. They did little but hope he wasn't placing a curse on them. Nothing changed. It seemed he had not. He had next walked the perimeter of the camp, his hands shielding his eyes from the bright sun, gazing stoically in all directions, climbing to the tops of the beach dunes at dusk, hoping to spy the electric lights of civilization. Even the distant horn of a luxury cruise liner would have reassured him, but there was nothing. The world was silent his own world gone. And in the evening, as he eyed the camp in the waning firelight, the bark huts, the drying animal skins, the naked children, the corn and beans hung from the eaves of each small hut, his tattered golf shirt, he realized this couldn't be a joke. He was now either in another dimension, another time, or some other fuckery of supernatural origin. In the end, he had to accept that this was his life now. The clock was gone. This was home. And although the Karankawa of the coast still had their doubts as to Bill's origins, they found him quite amusing, earning him a new role as tribal jester, and in the process becoming an instant celebrity. They had, at the current time, no plans to kill their guest, though collectively, people had come to suspect that he might be an extraterrestrial infant, as his self-preservation and tracking skills were so stunted, and his naivety in all matters so profound. Unaware of this judgment by the natives, Bill was having a high time. He had been given his own hut. The spring weather was pleasant. He had gone foraging with the ladies of camp several times, and he felt strangely, shockingly liberated without cell service. Assured he now blended seamlessly into their culture, he'd convinced himself he'd begun to even think like the true people, at one with nature. He had not, but this misguided belief would stick with him for the rest of his life. In fact, the cell phone was currently being used to pulverize acorns by Bill's new housekeeper, whom he had been awarded due to his rising status in camp. This housekeeper was actually Bill's Karankawan wife, but she was a hard 50, and Bill misunderstood the purpose of their bonding ceremony. Two berries had outlived several previous husbands and, currently single and looking to mingle, happily left the squalor of her sister's crowded wiki up to join with Bill, his tribal name. She, like many of her kin, agreed that Bill was simply a large child in an albino space bear's body. 
the kind they'd seen etched on the walls of the Red Rock Caves back east. But she loved him all the same. Two Berries was prepping the breakfast mush and singing a tuneless ditty squatting in the shade of the hut, reflecting on her happiness with her new husband-slash-boy-child. Since he wasn't yet old enough, in her opinion, to engage in sexual congress, Two Berries greatly enjoyed simply holding Beale sternly, his face pushed into her pendulous bosoms, stroking and shushing him as you would a cranky toddler. Bill enthusiastically surrendered to this activity, aside from a few brief moments of struggle in the beginning, but had yet to make the connection between his frustrated outburst when learning basic tasks like fire-making and Two Berry's patented baby-swaddling technique. On this crisp day, as Bill stepped from his bark-covered wiki-up, surveying the morning activities, the stately chief heron legs appeared at his side, gazing down at Bill with the kind, concerned eyes of earnest middle management. The chief was tall, as were most Karankawa, and his long silver hair gave him a distinction that Bill couldn't help but admire. He spoke, pointing to the grassy fields beyond the beach, motioning Bill to accompany him to the dunes, where a group of gathered warriors, each holding a precious longbow, awaited. Heron Legs had noticed Bill's reluctance to join the others in the torture and consumption of their enemy captives the evening before. He was concerned that Bill could turn out to be the unthinkable, a coward. But the chief had hoped better for this god baby, including plans for Bill to reproduce one day, perhaps dividing into at least three separate gods as he had heard they were wont to do across the seas. Therefore, he had decided during his morning constitutional, while thinking on the issue that Beale should be taken out with the men to train. Perhaps the All-Fathers had sent this unformed blob of a boy god for him to shape, to direct. Bill's hosts, the Karankawa, were excellent shots with the longbow. Their longbowmanship would have impressed even the English, who were known for their prowess with a similar instrument of death across the Atlantic. It was an intimidating weapon for a man with limited upper body strength. But then, the craziest thing happened. Bill who was, at best, mediocre in all aspects of life, excelled with the longbow. Whether it was two weeks a summer for three consecutive years at Boy Scout camp or mere whimsy, Bill impressed even himself as he took his place behind the behemoth weapon. Initially, the other men giggled when Beale stepped forward and clumsily embraced the huge bow, snickering as he released the quilled arrow in a jerky motion. But then... Silence. The arrow quivered with life, zinging through the humid air, striking two flying herons from a great distance. Both creatures pierced dramatically through the heart with one arrow. The astonished warriors couldn't believe their eyes. The dying herons twirled down gracefully to the edge of the water, flowing in with the tide, their blood mingling with the foam of the surf. Heron Legs ran forward and plucked up his namesakes, holding the entwined birds above his head victoriously. His mouth cracked open into a joyous grin, and Bill's chest swelled with pride. It wasn't just beginner's luck. Bill continued his streak with the longbow, a savant with the weapon. He was the talk of the township that evening, and Two Berries basked in the adoration, petting Bill possessively as countless new friends dropped by their fire watching Bill pantomime his wondrous doings over and over, relishing the attention. The chief had dropped by the fire earlier, presenting Bill with an official gift of esteem, 
a brown wolf dog. The Karankawa prized their canines. They didn't seem to possess horses, so their dogs, along with being treated as favored pets of the camp, were also their supply transport, a pallet dragging in the mud behind the dogs. Bill had meant to build a wheel for these poor bastards since he had arrived, but he just hadn't gotten around to it yet. If he was being honest, they seemed to get along just fine without it, really. Only one man in the camp seemed immune to Bill's charms. He was not odd. He was suspicious and jealous. He was the chief's son-in-law, deer in the swamps. Named as such because he ran slowly and his wide-set eyes gave him a perpetually startled expression on his face. The chief's five wives had ten daughters. The chief had labored at marrying off the many daughters of his many wives, and his eighth daughter was short and homely. Her tattoos didn't compliment her face in any way, but she was a good cook and a skilled gatherer, and Deer in the Swamps had married small-head woman with the hopes of ingratiating himself to Heron Legs, who had no living sons. Emboldened by this, he'd been clumsily, transparently scheming to take over the family dynasty since the day he'd married into the family. This new addition to the band, this obnoxious celestial infant, was a nuisance to him. Deer in the swamps had narrowed his eyes, carefully watching this beal squirm his way into the good graces of the chief. But he knew the gods didn't resemble round, white, soft-skinned baby men. The gods were turtles and foxes who led men to their destinies and tricked and punished them when they were bad. Everyone knew that. So deer in the swamps watched and waited. <laughs>